Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I, uh, I wanted to say before I start, I tried to think of some quip or joke to try and make it seem like I was going to do a sermon on Exodus, and so I asked Katie Williams to do all this just for this sermon this one Sunday, but uh, I couldn't think of a good one. Um, but what I will say is, for me, when I come in here and see this, the thing I keep thinking about is just how excited I am that there is going to be a room of kids in here. And that one of those children may not have ever really heard about Jesus, or they might have not ever had it connect, or they may, not, they may come from a home where they don't really have a lot of people that tell them how much God loves them or that they're loved. And so I'm just excited, and I hope that you'll join us in praying this week, Monday through Thursday, for each student, each child that's going to come in here, for all the volunteers, and that we might be the first step of someone who decides to give their life to Christ. We might be the second step. We might be the tenth step. Who knows? But that we get to be a part of that journey is a, a huge gift and a blessing. Um, so today in Colossians, we're going to be talking about something that I've kind of been waiting to say because I feel like, uh, I hope it's not something that gets too repetitive. But what I'm about to talk about today is something I think you could argue is maybe in pretty much the whole New Testament. But how many of you have heard the word philosophy before? And I want you to think, what's the first thing you think of when you hear the word philosophy? Some of you may think of Aristotle or Plato or the philosophers. Some of you may think of, uh, I don't know, just uh, some kind of a rule. Well, I have this philosophy. And that, that's kind of the direction I want to go today. Back in the Bible, whenever they use the word philosophy, it could mean so many things. It could mean the wisdom of the age. It could mean a magician having a certain philosophy that they have. But when I hear philosophy, I think more about the idea of like a guide or a compass. And so let me give you some examples. When I was in high school, I didn't go around like saying this or wearing this on a t-shirt, but I had a philosophy and it, I laugh now looking back at it because it seems kind of immature. But when I was in high school, I used to say frequently, I don't know why people get so stressed out about life because here's my philosophy. With every day, you just get lots of choices. And you can either choose to do what you think is right or choose to not do what you think is right. And if you just determine you're going to choose what you think is right most of the time, things are going to go pretty good. You don't have to really worry about tomorrow or the next day. Just when you wake up, just do the right thing. That was my, when I was in high school, I remember thinking, why does everybody make such a big deal about, oh, life is hard, life is, when I was in high school, I thought that's what it was about. You just, you know, do what you think is right every time you have a choice. Simple as that, right? And uh, now that I've gotten older and I have, I'm a husband and a father and I have to be responsible for things outside of myself. It's, it's a little more complex than that. In youth ministry, if you asked any of my students who were in my youth group that were really invested, and you'd ask them, what are some of Drew's sayings or philosophies? One of the ones that you would have heard them say, I said this before every mission trip, every camp, every retreat, I'd say, you will get out of this what you put into it. Whether that's a phrase I got from a coach or whether, I don't know, but they would tell you that's one of my hallmarks. And the idea was, if we're about to get on this bus and go to a camp, 
There is one kid who's getting on the bus who's like, this is my favorite week of the year, I can't wait. And then there's another kid whose parents are like, oh, a week away from us? Uh, yeah, I'm signing you up for that camp. And the kid's like, none of my friends are here, I don't really wanna go, this is gonna be lame. Uh, why am I going to this hot place where there's no grass in Texas and summer camp? And what I would say is, those two, the number one determining factor on whether those children are gonna have a good time or not is God. But the second most important factor is whether you are going to put into the experience and be willing to buy in. If, if one student is willing to say, you know what, this week I'm going to do everything I can to really try and listen during the lessons. Or you know what, this week I'm really going to try to be kinder to people. And whenever, whenever the youth minister says, I need a couple volunteers, I'm going to be the first one to shoot up my hand rather than, oh no, another activity with a marshmallow. This is going to stink. You know, like just, just a general attitude of this is going to be lame. Guess what? You're probably going to have a terrible time. So I would always say that. You are going to get out of this experience what you're willing to buy in. And that was one of my youth group philosophies. In life, we have all sorts of philosophies that we see all over the place. In sports, you might hear a coach say, don't coach not to lose, but coach to win. Have you heard that before? You, got, you can't coach not to lose. You've got to coach to win. That's a philosophy. Um, in your jobs, some of you have a, a philosophy at work. The customer always comes first. That's a, a, a philosophy. Or at work, you might have a philosophy. You need to be the first one there and the last one out. Uh, anybody heard that before? An idea of this is how I show my commitment to my job. In our day-to-day -day lives, you'll hear different philosophies. How many of you have heard the phrase carpe diem before? Anybody heard that? It's Latin for seize the day, right? Seize the day. That, that for some people, is a good life philosophy. You know what? Every day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to grab life by the horns. And I'm just going to go, go get it. I'm not going to sit by and let my life happen to me. Or uh, there was a thing that... I don't know, college kids used to say not too long ago, that was, you only live once. And they would abbreviate that to say YOLO. Say, you only live once. And so if, if you're facing a choice, what am I going to do? Well, you know what? You only live once, so I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Or I think another maybe example of a life philosophy is just to put your head down, put your nose to the grindstone, and just get to work, right? Those are life philosophies. So anyway, I've given you enough illustrations the idea is, is that often we think of the word philosophy as this big fancy word, but each and every one of us, in everything we choose to do, we have philosophies, whether you use that word or not. You have these compasses and guiding maps that determine how you're going to work at your job, how you're going to be as a parent or a husband or a mother or a wife or a sister or a brother, a student at school. You will have these guiding philosophies. So with that in mind, let's read from Colossians 2, and we're going to talk about what Paul thinks you should make as your guiding philosophy in life. We talked last week about how these teachers are coming and they're trying to teach this new philosophy, this new way that you should be religious and become complete in knowing Christ. And a lot of it has to do with really practicing these Jewish codes and worshiping these other gods. And so with that in mind, let's, let's read from Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into, a great, de into great detail about what they have seen. 
They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. I want to pause there real quick. Everything I just read might sound like, wait, what does that have anything to do with what you were just talking about? I just want to try and lay it out. The idea is these false teachers are telling this church, you need to follow this certain way, this certain philosophy, this certain path where you're keeping all these Jewish codes, you're practicing all these things. And Paul is saying all those things, they weren't bad things. They were just a shadow. They were just a preview of what was coming. And now that Jesus Christ has come, the fulfillment of the shadow, the real deal, you don't need to worry about practicing the shadows anymore because you've got him in the flesh. That's where he says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. And so he says, don't let anybody who brags about... This. See this word where it says false... Oh, I'll go back. Where it says false humility there. Uh, anyone who's bragging about their false humility and the worship of angels. That word false humility, one, some translations will put uh, asceticism, which just means really severe self, uh, self-punishment. Uh, lack of indulgence, just keeping yourself from really enjoying anything. He's saying, don't let these people who are bragging about them following this rigid way of life say that they're more spiritual than you. They aren't more spiritual. They, they puff themselves up with this idea that they're more spiritual. But really what they've done is they've lost connection with Jesus Christ, who is the head, who's growing all of this. If, if someone says you've lost connection to the head, what, they're, what he's talking about is, if Christ is the one that's determining your actions, determining what you, say, you should or shouldn't do, then you're not going to be doing all these things that he's saying they're focusing on. Instead, make Christ your head, and then you'll grow and mature and become more spiritual through him rather than through all these codes that they're following in this philosophy. So let's, let's keep reading. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, and we do that through baptism, we die with Christ in the waters of baptism, since you died with Christ to the elemental, elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Here we have a quotation. This is Paul quoting the false teacher in Colossae. You almost never see quotes unless they're quoting the Old Testament or quoting something else. But here we see this is what they're saying there in Colossae. They're saying, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He's saying all these rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility or asceticism, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So I love this phrase where he says, an appearance of wisdom. He said all these things, they look like good ideas. They look like wisdom. And I, here's an analogy that I hope works. We'll see. But how many of you have ever at any time in your life thought, I want to start living, I want to start uh, losing some weight. I want to start being a little more healthy. Some of us, it's maybe because our doctor said, hey, your, your carbs are, or your uh, cholesterol is looking bad or whatever. You know, Sorry, I haven't had too many meetings about my cholesterol yet. Um, but you need to start eating healthier. Or you might, it's spring break's coming up and you're going to go to the beach and you want to look a little better in your swimsuit, right? We have different reasons why people do this, but here's usually how this goes. You look up and you try and find whatever process is going to give you the shortest path 
to looking good. Whether it's, hey, if you eat these pills, these pills are going to help you lose weight. If you uh, do this special diet where you don't ever eat anything that has bread in it, but you only eat fruits and vegetables, then that's the secret. And if you, you, you know what I mean, you've all been there, you've all seen the, oh man, I do this thing where I wrap my belly in saran wrap and stand in the shower for 10 minutes and you'll lose weight, right? There's all sorts of cheat codes, right? Okay? I don't want to oversimplify this because I know uh, eating healthy and losing weight can be a very sensitive subject. But at the risk of being too simplified, this is kind of, for me, one of the things that I just I think about. It's, are you living healthy? If you are, you're probably going to lose some weight. If you're not, you're probably not. What does living healthy look like? Well, there's no like secret answer. It's, are you watching what you're eating? Are you exercising? Are you doing things where you're getting out and walking and, and running or, or being up on your feet? And some people may say, well, I just don't have time to prepare a healthy meal with everything I've got going on. Like, I can't help it. I have to just grab some McDonald's while I'm, you know, on my lunch break. I just, I don't have time. I'm sorry, but that, okay, that's not healthy. You know what I mean? That's, you can't really change that. Or you might say, oh, well, I just don't have time to get up early in the morning and go for a jog or what. Okay, that, I, I'm not, I'm sorry, but really there is no secret sauce to this. It's, are you living in a healthy way? And I'm going to use that analogy to say that for Paul, these Colossian, this Colossian church, what, what's, going, what's being taught to them is, oh, you really want to be spiritual? Oh, you really want to have this complete Christian life? Well, you got to do all these codes and follow all these Jewish things and, and listen to these. And they talk about the worship of angels. you got to pray to the angels to protect you from these evil spirits. All this stuff. And Paul's like, listen, y'all are making it really complicated, acting like it's all these shortcuts and all these special things you got to do. The bottom line is, live as a Christian. Follow Christ. Is Christ the head of your life? Is He the one that you have as the person you want to follow and you want to give your life to? That's it. There is no secret sauce. There is no special ingredient. It is make Christ the center of your life. Live for Christ. And so, um, let's keep reading where I feel like you're going to see... Uh, Paul kind of take this thing where he's saying, you've got this appearance of wisdom, all these things that seem smart, like the, the diet pills and the special diets. and the, That all may seem like a good idea, but the bottom line is, here's the answer. Live healthy. Paul is saying, those all appear to be wise, but here's the answer. Live Jesus Christ. Live as Jesus Christ would have you live. You have Christ. That's all you need. So let's read what he says then. Since then you have been raised with Christ... You died with Christ and now you've been raised with Him. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So his answer is, quit worrying about all these rules and philosophies they're teaching you to follow. The philosophy to follow is... Is, am I setting my heart on things above? Am I setting my heart on Christ? I like this. I really like phrases like this because sometimes whenever I try and preach a message, I feel like I've got to explain it before it'll make any sense. This, in my opinion, even today, still makes a ton of sense. If I told someone, hey, Raymond, set your heart on things above, I think every single one of us in here can understand, like, okay, I get it. I see what he's saying. If, 
If, have you ever heard the phrase, well, you know what? Tim really has his heart set on this. What does that mean? That means there's really, you're not really going to get them to change their mind. You're really going to not be able to convince them otherwise. It's, hey, listen, I've got my heart set on it. Wait, your, your son is going to college in Colorado, but that's so far away. Well, he's got his heart set on it. That's, that's what he wants to do. He's got his heart set on that. You've heard that phrase before, right? I'm not the only one that's heard the phrase, my heart is set on that. Okay, this is the idea. Paul is saying, when your heart is set on the things above, it really makes following all these other philosophies and codes just kind of fall away. I had a friend of mine in college named Cason Ford. And if that sounds like a strong name, man, this guy, like, he looked like a Cason Ford. He was from Burleson, Texas. He, uh, you know, just was this... We'd have this college intramural rodeo night or whatever, and there was the one event where you like have the bull come out and you have to like kind of like flip him over and like, man, this guy, he was like the first one in line. Uh, he was an awesome guy, so gregarious, just everyone wanted to be around him. And I remember freshman through sophomore year, he was just the life of the party, just this fun, exciting, always doing whatever he wanted to do guy. Man, big, I, I'm going to have to reach out to him and text him, this big guy, Cason Ford. And uh, one day, I remember he kind of just chilled out and just started working a lot more, started studying a lot more. And it was kind of like, what's the deal? And we learned it was because there was this new girl, this girl that he had met, this redhead girl um, from Dallas, that all of a sudden he was, he, he loved this girl just fast. You know, he was all in. And so it'd be like, well, what, what happened? What changed? And he said, I've got to start making money so I can marry this girl, you know? I, if I want to get a ring, I don't have a dime to my name. I've got to start being serious. If I want to be the husband that I think this girl wants to have, I've got to, you know, get it together. And so what happened? It wasn't, that, it wasn't that he, someone came and told him to get more serious, become more serious or to quit having fun. What happened was his heart was set on something new. His heart was no longer set on, woo, I'm Cason Ford. His heart was set on, I really like this girl. I, I got to start doing what I need to do to convince this girl that I'm worth marrying. I'm worth, like, uh, you know, trusting. And it changed everything. He, he no longer saw his free time as, I'm just going to do whatever I want. He saw his free time as, maybe I can work some more hours so I can make some more money. Or I need to study harder so that I, I get a job in a, a business that I want to work for so that I can provide for this family. Hopefully that analogy makes sense. But I think... The idea, I imagine, is that whenever you have given your life to Christ, when you've decided to follow Him, all of a sudden, you've put on a new pair of glasses. And when you walk around the world, you no longer see things that you used to see. You see things through the idea of, how am I setting my heart on how what I'm going through leads to Christ? Or how can I point people to Christ through this? You no longer see a kid sitting by themselves and think, oh, that poor kid. You say, how does Christ want me to interact with this person. You no longer have an argument with someone where you think, I've got to win this argument. But instead you think, well, because I'm setting my heart on things above, I have these new lenses on, I'm going to demonstrate maybe how I can be selfless and how I can be loving and help this person. You parent different. You, you do your marriage differently. You do being a member of society differently because all of a sudden your heart isn't set on what you used to care about. Your heart is set on things above. You don't just go along with what everyone says you're supposed to do anymore. Oh, well, that's just what we all do. Oh, you're, you're just supposed to do that. You know, that's just how things go. Well, now that I have my heart set on things above and on Christ, is that really how I want to do that? Is that just what you're supposed to do anymore? With everything that happens in life. And so I have some advice 
And then I'm going to read this summary of why I think this passage is important. Some of you may be sitting here and thinking, okay, is this what Drew's saying? That any philosophies we get from any person are bad and the only good philosophy is Jesus Christ. I don't want you to hear that. What I want you to hear is that anytime you hear a life philosophy, like let's say carpe diem, let's take that for example, seize the day. You need to take that phrase and you need to say, how much does this align with the message of Jesus Christ? And if it aligns, keep it. If it doesn't, throw it in the trash, okay? So uh, I watched, there's a movie that I love. I won't say the name, but there's a movie I love where the takeaway message of the movie is you need to spend every little moment of your life, all the little ordinary moments, and live them as if they were the last great moment of your life. Live them fully, enjoying all those little moments. When your baby has a poopy diaper, be all in changing that diaper. When you're doing the dishes, be all in. Whenever you're waking up and you're having your morning coffee, be all in on the ordinary moments. Okay, that's a life philosophy, right? Is there any part of you that maybe thinks that a part of that message sounds a lot like what we talk about with Scripture? Remember, we just did a sermon series on Ruth, where the point of the series of Ruth was that God is working in your ordinary moments of life. So guess what? I'm going to take that philosophy and I'm going to say, I believe that philosophy is true. Not because it's true, because someone thought of it, but because it is a mirror and it shadows what I know is the truth that comes from Christ. Nod your head if that's making sense. Anytime you hear a life philosophy, anytime you hear it, use it and put Jesus Christ as the litmus test in that human philosophy. Test it and go, that sounds a lot like what I think Jesus is preaching. Keep the human philosophy. If it doesn't, if, it's, if, if the human philosophy is, hey, if somebody annoys you, just forget about them and move on. Part of me is like, that doesn't sound a lot like Jesus. I'm going to throw that philosophy out. Or if somebody says, I, I remember as a kid, I used to hear people say, I don't want you to ever start a fight, but you better finish it. That sounds like a human philosophy. That's maybe not what Jesus would say. Does that sound like something Jesus would say? Hey, listen, they might beat you in the back, but you better come back and whoop them, you know? That doesn't sound like Jesus to me, so we throw that philosophy out. Today's passage reminds us that we not only died with Christ, but we were raised with Him too. When Christ left the tomb, He, raised, he was raised on high and is now enthroned in glory at God's right hand. What does this mean for us, those who by faith have been united with His death and His resurrection? That means that we continue to live on earth in our mortal bodies, but we have embarked on a new way of life with a new lens in which we see the world. The power that enables us to follow this new life has been imparted to us by Christ from the glory which He now lives. That's what we see here in this, in this part of uh, chapter 3. It says, For you died, with, you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He's saying, Your life is now set up in a new place even though you're still living here. Since we share in His risen life, our interests are now centered on Him. We must therefore pursue those things which belong to the heavenly realm, to the kingdom of God, where He reigns. We give over to this new realm our minds, our attitudes, our ambitions, our whole outlook, our whole life philosophy must be characterized by our living bond with Christ from now on, not based on the wisdom that people tell us of this world. If any of you would like to learn more about what it looks like to make Christ the center of your life, to make following Him the compass, 
It's a journey, and we'd love to talk to you about that journey. We'd love to be a part of it, helping you understand more about what it means to dying to yourself and being raised to a new life. And I'd encourage you, if any of you have any prayer requests, to talk to us also. There'll be elders at the exits, and I'd encourage you to come speak with us while we stand and sing this song.